welcome back to the Xenothesis podcast. This is episode 35, in which we're covering chapter 9 of uh, part 2 Phoenix of... Is it part 2 or part 3? Part 2. Part 2. Part 2, yeah. Part 2 Phoenix of uh, Adulthood Rights, the second book in the Xenogenesis trilogy by Octavia Butler. My name is Richard Acton, and I'm joined uh, in this um, interesting new little town uh, that we've been anticipating visiting for a little while now by my co-host. Michael Glinka. Hi, everyone. I mean, <laughs> my previous predict- predictions kept um, going back and forth, going, oh, we're going to reach Phoenix? No, no, we're not going to reach Phoenix yet. Oh, we're going to reach Phoenix? No, we're going to reach Phoenix yet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we kind of yo-yoed a little bit on that one, didn't we? But uh, Yeah. <laughs> finally here uh, in the eponymous uh, location for the, for the I, section. To be fair, I mean, like, t- in my defense... Um, even the chapter starts with the, you know, with the, with the man saying that, oh, they were sort of avoiding the village. So in a way, I was correct. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was yeah, pretty yeah. anticipating their behavior. <laughs> yeah. It, uh, yeah, it, it made sense that we were kind of uh, putting off visiting here and, and you know, going around the houses to find somewhere where we might be able to unload our, um, uh, you know, kidnap victim. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Before yeah. going back to the place where we know he has ties. Yeah. True, especially with the with the after what he did to Tino. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, probably want to avoid Phoenix. So you know, as a last resort, we finally showed up here. But uh, yeah, it's been it's been a little a little while since we last recorded um, because you know we both took summer holidays. Um, and uh, yeah, so yes, we're finally change of environment, not being stuck at home and stuff. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. a bit more refreshed, but still like, no motivation to do work. So. I- Standard, standard. <laughs> uh, oh dear. <laughs> no, and uh, I don't know if it might be a little little divergence in in the initial part here. I'm you know ad libbing, um, but uh, you know consumed some other content in in the in the intervening time. Uh huh. Go on. Not you know I just uh, you know I read the first of um, the the parables books, some mother Octavia's work, and started on the second, um, and and they're also very good and quite interesting. Uh, not, okay. Not as, relevant in some ways to like the biological sciencey stuff that we uh-huh. do but but uh, interesting in other ways <laughs> okay, i can see okay. why they had a uh, resurgence in popularity and after the uh, the 2016 election in the u.s there's some uh, <laughs> somewhat prophetic stuff in, <laughs> in there in some regards uh, yeah um, actually speaking of the prophetic stuff i actually sat down and started reading brave new world by audrey ah. huxley i actually finally sat went to sit down and start reading Mm -hmm. the book because we often mention it and i know the sort of overlying theme behind it but Mm -hmm. i actually never sat down and you know read it so Mm -hmm. um it's it's Uh, it's really how how far have you gotten so far only just the beginning i am only at the very beginning because uh i only just recently like oh you know what i want to read something and i thought you know what i've been postponing this so i i will do it now um so yeah i only just started just only started mm-hmm. but it's still it, but it starts really really like oh oh that's that's really interesting concept that they started with the um uh what's his name the the the, pro, the idea of budding oscites um oh it's, it's to a, make clones Bernard's the many protagonist twin. right yeah and yeah. then um bokanoscification i think is the process yes, they call yes, it yes yes yep. yeah to, to make many many twins of the same so they do all the same job it's it's like 
this is a concept I can imagine somebody, for example, in America or China coming out like, yeah, this is, you know, let's let's do this. <laughs> yeah, that's like, uh, hmm, how can we make these Amazon warehouse workers more efficient <laughs> and, and predictable? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Oof. Uh, uh, but to be fair, this is a serious issue. And I, I mean, like, you know... Hmm. I can imagine every single Amazon worker was hoping that Jeff Bezos is going to get stuck in the space when he goes flies it, but hey. <laughs> um, and um, you, you recommended uh, uh, an anime to me last week because I'm, I'm looking for, for additional avenues by which I can become more of a nerd and anime is about the only thing left. <laughs> yes, um, that, that's probably the <laughs> deepest uh, sea you can <laughs> throw yourself into. <laughs> but go on. Uh-huh. So I watched Violet Evergarden. Um, okay, it, it was beautiful, as you said. Um, it's honestly. Uh, did you just watch like the season, or did you manage to just binge everything? I looked up the watch order and did the whole thing. So. Oh really? I, I, put, I put in um, the the OVA between episodes um, oh my four God. and five, I think, when it was supposed to be. Oh, wow. Okay. So I have only watched like the season, and I still, and I think I watched one movie. I need to rewatch everything. So because so mm. tsh, zip it. But yes, it's <laughs> it's beautiful, isn't it? It's just the the, the the animation. Like you can tell the animation the, um, is absolutely stunning. Yeah. yeah. Just uh, there's so many like beautiful little details, like um, the use of reflective surfaces. Mm-hmm. I've never think I think I've never seen animated time lapse before, um, and they did that several times. Yeah. And like you know, water and all kinds of detail. It's just like and things like little, like bodily expressions. Just you know, the way people do things, and it, it's yeah, like uh, absolutely visually stunning. Yeah, so, it's yeah. I think so far like the most visually uh, satisfying animation mm-hmm. to date. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean the the story left me with a number of questions. Okay, but it was it was still very enjoyable. Uh, like. uh, if I, give me one of those questions, go on. So, like, spoiler warnings for, for Violet Evergarden uh, with respect to, like, what may or may not be answered in the in the plot um, mm-hmm. from now on, right? <laughs> Just uh, to anyone who wants to watch it in the future. Yes. Um, so, um, it's still pretty unclear to me Violet's origins, right? Ah, okay, no, okay. It's... We, you know, I, I still don't understand like how she became this kind of like super soldier at like a ten-year-old. You know, we we only see her um, when um, what's his name, the the brother, like gives her to the major, mm-hmm. and that's like okay. Uh, but where did the brother get her from in the first place? Yeah, like, in the north. It's like so her kind of deep background still remains kind of uh, I guess very much unanswered to me. I I, I need to check because I'm, I I don't know if it's based on the where uh, on light novel. Maybe yeah, it's a light novel. Yeah, so maybe mm. there's more um details and because the problem with animation often mm. is that like they they have to skip certain parts mm. because if you put everything in details, you're gonna like of you know there's not enough time. So yeah, I guess yeah. I may have, have to go to the source material to to yeah. get my my questions answered. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> on the on the deep background, but yeah, and uh, um, I managed to do the setting incredibly well. Like all of the little details for um. Just like it, you know, to get the impression of it being in like a kind of World War One era period, mm-hmm. like you know, cloth and wood framed planes, I... and like the, the the guns. Like, so there's a few scenes where there's action stuff. It's not very much action, mm-hmm. but like you know, the you know, they clearly have like um, um, 
it's like a P14 Enfield rifle that they modeled the one off of in the that all the guys are in like the World War One style trenches. Yeah, yeah. It's got a very distinct like top piece above the the inline yep. magazine. Yeah, and um, no, all, all of these little things. It's like okay, yeah, that that really pegs the period fairly exactly. Um, and it's it, it's really well done in that regard. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And I, to be honest, I like. Um, I always was big fan of the sort of steampunk idea of like this this usage of you know because a violet doesn't have hands and those arms are amazing it, and yeah. those arms are just like you know like the, i always was very big fan of stuff like this i, I mean like you know, i mentioned that before because of star wars things like when you know luke skywalker has his hand cut chopped off and they're like they give him this bionic arm in a way um so i absolutely love it's this kind stuff. of it's about only it's one of very few aspects of the world that kind of st- strike you as being like odd right because yes. having a an above the elbow amputation that has that level of dexterity would be extremely difficult yes basically impossible even with modern tech but yep. this kind of like you know uh clockwork like thing works okay for for violet no um, it's it's, it's like that and the fact that she's as as much of a super soldier as she is like the two things that are kind of like mm, this doesn't quite fit but other than that, the world seems very, uh, uh, very like uh, believable as kind of a moderately idealized um, 1910s era Europe. Yeah. Um, if if I can suggest you another thing before we move on, um, mm-hmm. you should definitely watch uh, a movie from Ghibli Studio, animated mm-hmm. movie uh, Nausicaa. Okay. And uh, I, I mean, Ghibli movies in general are fantastic, and and you know they're deep and they tell tell many stories. But I personally find, um, although Kiki Delivery Service is very cute and very re- relaxing, but and I really love it. But I think the best movie out of all of his, of the uh, Hideo Miyazaki's um, um, creations is Nausicaa, because it's okay. really. He based it after um, his experience of the mercury poisoning of the uh, uh, of I don't remember exactly where it was, but somewhere in Japan there was a mercury poisoning of like a local um, like environment um, because of factory leak or something. I don't remember exactly, but okay. it really influenced his um, view of the world and his uh, like the necessity to take care of the, our environments and make sure that things like this don't happen. And it's a fantastic movie. It, the story, mm. the characters, the, 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 it's just the drawing is so... It's an old movie, but it's fantastic. I 100%, you should really watch it. Okay, I'll have to look it up. Right, so we, we've immediately diverged. Yes, I mean... <laughs> entirely my fault onto, uh, onto a tangent about anime because uh, you know, we haven't spoken in a little while, so yes. we're you know, catching up on air here now. <laughs> um, but... Uh, Let's start Let's maybe return, the prediction. Shall we, yes. To the you know uh, after the tone beep no more like uh, Violet Evergarden spoilers. You 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 uh, we're back. Um, yes. Let's, uh, let's uh, revisit your prediction for this chapter. Yes. And, and get started on the summary. So my chapter nine prediction was the men reach another village. Maybe finally Phoenix, but it might still be too soon. Potentially, Damer <laughs> Gal tried to do something stupid to the boy, and a brutal fight starts between the men. I thought basically there's something's got like something's gonna trigger Gald or Damek and like the men are gonna you know there's gonna be infighting again between them. Mm-hmm. Completely missed the spot. Okay. Completely missed it. But hey, I mean we are finally at Phoenix, yes. um, and yeah, we don't yet have any infighting. Um, 
presumably because we're now at somewhere where they they need to present a somewhat united front. Yes, yes, uh, yes. Hmm. Well then, I think let's start the chapter nine summary. Um, mm-hmm. After the long year of tangent topic, um, so we're finally in Phoenix. The chapter starts with an explanation on why it took the resistors and Akin so long to get to that village. Um, the reason was basically because they were avoiding it, um, knowing that it was Tino's village. Um, they were aware that probably the Onkali will um, check it first and stay as long as possible to catch them if they you know, aim to, that vi- to, get to reach that village straight away uh, mm-hmm. after the abduction. We have a, we're given a bit of a description about Phoenix, um, more than what Tino gave us in a few chapters back. Um, Phoenix was the richest resistor village they knew of. People from the village would salvage metal from the prior sites um, that was told by Tino for, to us. And there were people in the village who were able to shape the metal. It also had more women than any other village because they traded them hmm. for metal. That's actually an interesting point because... Um... Firstly, I mean, it tells us that there is some remnants of pre-war stuff lying around, yes. at least enough that there are some metal fragments. And it also suggests quite a high degree of metalworking skill, because working modern alloys is often quite difficult. Yeah. Uh, you, know, you need high temperatures and so on that you, you can not attain easily um, for, uh, you know, like a, you know, a mild steel or some... some you know, old iron stuff you know you just need a forge but some of the modern especially over the all the alloys cobalt high melting point stuff yeah yeah it makes sense that these and and actually to be fair they explain some other stuff here because like things like they have the cotton they had rubber trees as well as trees that produced oil that was used lamp uh used in lamps without the necessity of the refinement meaning that potentially Mm -hmm. they had a source of fire um that could reach the temperatures necessary necessary for um, mm-hmm. shaping the metal. So all, yeah, a, a nice clean burning oil would be a, a useful thing to have. And that, yep. that sounds like a, a an Oankali addition because yeah, it does. I've not sound looked like it up, but I'm I'm not familiar with any plant that will produce like a an oil that you can burn completely unrefined and just like tap the way you would syrup. Yeah. Uh, I, I, it must have been some some onkali um, modification, hmm. I guess, so that prevent people to. That's the thing people want to do, though, right? Yeah, I mean, like, I guess it's to prevent um, people from um, looking for oil again and just destroying the environment again. I suppose that might be one thing, um, perhaps. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it's a good question, actually. Why would the onkali make a plant that produces a an oil that you can burn? when they don't really need any oil as um, such because they like have other fuel means. based yeah. yeah they don't use that to generate power so maybe it is a maybe it's a concession to the to the humans and their their uh, way of life here mm. uh, and or maybe it's uh, they just need the oil for some other thing to be fair i mean like it is a high energy storage right so mm. it's in a way a useful thing and if you can like tap to tap a tree like you would tap i don't know maple tree for mm-hmm. for its you know for its syrup then it makes absolute sense and i mean it would be it's a great idea to be fair because if you could you know nowadays we have um scientists came up with like a few years ago with bacteria that can produce diesel um mm, yeah 
Also, they've, been, they've been trying to make that into an industrial thing for ages, haven't they? Like algaes and, and bacteria yeah. that you can grow in, in en masse to produce biofuels. But uh, it's still a few years really, ahead. But yeah. you know, to, to, for but you know, who knows? Maybe combining the stuff with trees would make sense to like to be able to tap them and then. But then again, I feel like mm-hmm. if there was a fire in the forest uh, yeah, like that, <laughs> you would have a hell of a day to you know, hell of a time to trying to put it down. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that would not be a good forest fire. <laughs> no, it would be really <laughs> like a nasty. Yeah. Forest fire slash oil spill. That's the basically <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> mm, yeah. Okay. Maybe these trees were not a good idea. <laughs> Maybe not fully thought uh, thought through. Um, <laughs> but um, so the vi- you know the whole village had massive houses, stores, and farms. So it's it's a really well developed like uh, place. And as the say, the raiders said that it was more like a pre-war town than a place where people had given up on life, right? So because we know that Tino mentioned in earlier that like suddenly people started just leaving or committing suicide because they just started giving up mm-hmm. on the idea of like living without being able to bear children. Um, by contrast with the the previous couple of villages we visited it certainly seems like you know they've made progress here absolutely uh, absolutely yeah Damek mentions that he almost settled there um and we are told that phoenix was located many days south from hillman the german village um mm. and then Iriata then talked to Akin and told him that the people from Phoenix uh, will buy him, but he shouldn't frighten them. He should talk to them, but only when Iriata tells him when, uh, when to do so. Hmm. Yeah, he seems to somewhat disregard this advice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, at least in 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 private, anyway. Uh, I th- I think the degree. boy, as much as intelli- his intelligence, sometimes just doesn't get the cues of when to do things right but it's i guess what do you expect from a 17 month uh, old child hmm, hmm. although um i think he may have been right to ignore damik's advice here although we'll have to see in the long term what how it pans out but it, it seems like uh, oh iriata yes yeah, sorry um advice here yeah which uh yeah i mean it, he has that exchange with with Tate and so I mean, that, that seems to be productive. Yeah, I mean, you know, like, but he was lucky that it was, you know, the person he talked yeah. to because it's true. Um, if it was somebody else, then yeah, it wouldn't be. But let, let we'll get to that. We're jumping ahead. Yeah. Yep. Um. So Akin moved again, and here I sort of skipped, but basically Akin communicated with Riyadh in a way that, um. If he under if you had to talk to him and he understood he would shift around in his um in his arms, um, mm. confirming that he heard him and you know to 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 what that he understood, um. But it's interesting because just only now Yuriata goes to him. Tell me, Nino, speak to me. I don't want to make fool of myself. I understand. Akin whispered into his ears. Um, the response made Yuriata mm. hold the boy away from him for a second, then smile. A strange smile. Maybe realization that Akin is not full, a fully human baby. But after a brief moment, he tells Akin that he still looks one of his kids and he doesn't want to give him up. Yeah, that's an interesting moment. Uh, and also, Akin you know, frequently ex- sort of expresses himself in, you know, like, I understand. It's quite a adult way of acknowledging that. Right? Yes. It's not like he just said, yeah, or, you know, made a noise of assent. He mm. actually, you know, stated... 
I understand what you've told me, as it were, which is, uh, uh, you know, that's going to give away that he has more intelligence than uh, uh, than he may have been letting on, at least to, to Ariarte thus far. Mm, absolutely. So and then Akin does something dangerous. Um, he proceeds to taste Iriate by pretending to kissing him on the neck. He only could get few cells, but if needed, maybe he could share the genetic code with an Uloi to create another Iriate. <laughs> hmm. Yeah, that's a, an interesting implication, right? If uh, <laughs> you can just, uh, all you need is a few cells and you can whip up a clone. But to be fair, I understand why he would do it, because considering, like, although he did scare Galt, who was initially quite... Hmm fond of Akin, Iriarte seems to be still a... Yeah, yeah. You know. I think um, he's, he's a, a bit more reasonable as mm. a human being um, yes. than some of the others. But yeah, so Galt uh, like, seemed to be holding him reasonably initially, but then we have this whole uh, like interaction over the Aguti and he totally... You know, loses the the trust there, yeah. and because uh, he seems to be, you know, like uh, concealing his intelligence from the others, and only Galt knows about it. And, but now Iriati's reaction to the uh, indication that he's smarter than he perhaps let on is uh, less um, uh, less fraught than than Galt's experience. There. Yeah, 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 and mm. you pointed out here like the 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 um. It, the exact, you know, uh, extract from the book, you know, you better watch that kid got called from several steps behind. A kiss from him could be the same as kiss from a bushmaster. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, so I think like, yeah, Galt is still very much on guard and, and you know, warning uh, about uh, uh, Akin. Right? Akin has made him paranoid by that whole thing with the Aguti, which... Uh, the last episode we talked about it right it was <laughs> you know, like creepy child horror kind of stuff so i can kind of understand where he's coming from <laughs> yes absolutely <laughs> i mean to be fair um to sort of i still don't understand galt's behavior because he knew that the boy is a construct right and he knew that mm. um he would be different the shock that he had in the first place sort of doesn't still justify like his like complete hatred to the boy like the boy didn't do anything he only said to gold like why why don't you take you know the man who was dying of an ulcer to an onkali to save him and <clears throat> but the i think it's just the um the, the mismatch between the sort of expectation that you would intuitively have of something that's visually externally presenting as like an 18 month old baby and the like the clear intelligence the yeah like the fact that he was you know like you know he you know mercy killed this animal yeah uh and is engaging in in sort of slightly deceitful behavior right he's concealing the fact that he's this intelligent from the others which you know from the perspective of of Galt looks like you know like this kind of you know like scheming devil child thing, right? I, I can certainly understand how he's like gotten his head about this, about you know, this the, uh, without any kind of context on you know what we have of, of Akin's internal monologue, yeah. understanding his motivations, right? If you don't have any understanding of of Akin's motivations from the outside, 
he can look uh, a lot more threatening. No, absolutely, uh, absolutely. But at the same time, yeah. like it's been, I don't know how many years or decades they've been uh, on the planet now. They must have true, had true. interactions with other construct kids in the you know trading village, although they are resistors and maybe they kept away. But still, in those many years, I'm certain they must have like encountered those kids. Mm. I suppose it depends. So on on how limited their previous interactions have been, but I think that's also part of the um, the the point that um, Akin looks so much like an ordinary human child. Yeah, you know, he's not visibly alien in in a kind of a, a, a sense where you then have a like if you have an expectation mm-hmm. that something is going to act alien, then when it does, it's less off putting, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But the fact that he looks so human, I think, is something that they have a lot of difficulty with because you know it's a very unthreatening package that then does stuff that's <laughs> like <laughs> oh, that's a, it's a, it's a, such a nice compliment a very unthreatening package <laughs> yeah and like the the body the outward shell appearance of this being is 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 like a helpless baby by a by you know, long established human <laughs> like biological and cultural sensibilities and yet it has you know it's housing a an alien intelligence and uh, yeah. a capacity to 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 kill things, yeah, yeah. which, uh, yeah, I, I can I, I can understand why that uh, is is producing paranoia in God. No, absolutely, absolutely, I understand. <laughs> Not to excuse anything about his behavior towards Becky because he's still being unnecessarily, uh, you know, mishandling him and all the rest of it. It's it's like. It, 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 and you know the whole kidnapping him in the first place yeah. thing, right? Yeah, but yeah, as it happened, um, you know, Galt warned Riyad to not let him do it, but Riyad just quietly whispered to Akin that the man had small kids before the war and he shouldn't have frightened him. Uh, Akin knew this, but nothing could be done now. Like he never saw a human baby, so he didn't know how to behave, which is a valid point mm-hmm. in here. Like you know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a very good point. Like he he doesn't know how, you know, the the thing that he looks like would normally behave, and thus can't imitate it. Exactly, so it's gonna do stuff that's gonna be weird for for what people would expect. But yeah, back to the phoenix. Now we're going back to the description of the a further description of the village. We're told a bit more about the structure of it and large houses called white, blue, or gray with um, glass windows that Tino boasted about, um, broad fields and storage buildings and an ornate structure that must have been a church. Akin didn't understand the purpose of the building, even though Tino explained to him, but he knew of some of the prayers because Tino taught him. Um, There were men working in the fields, and when they spotted the four men arriving, someone of them started coming towards them, some men from the uh, houses. Akin could detect a faint scent of an onkali, but it was very old. Hmm. And it's quite interesting, yeah, because there's this whole uh, attempt to understand uh, or attempt to communicate what uh, the function of a church is to Akin, which, yeah, that's a pretty, uh, it's a fairly abstract thing to try and explain to an infant, an infant and the explanations that people often have for why there are churches are frequently not actually the explanations for why churches exist in the first place. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I guess, I mean, in a way, because it is America, it's, uh, um, I guess it's, it exp- you know, there are some people who still remember their old 
you know beliefs because they're you know they're awakened so um and i guess it's necessary for them to have this output in a way i mean i think it's also one of those yeah that's sort of strong outfit outward symbol of it yeah i mean I, I suspect it's also one of those kind of um reactionary things right it's the um defining oneself in opposition to the identity of the other group right yeah. if the Oankali don't have um religious institutions then uh, you know in order to be fully human we also have we have to have some religious institutions that are, are like you saw the same thing in um in the u.s in opposition to the soviet union right? yeah you know communism was was godless so uh, you know the u.s doubled down on on the god stuff um even in things like um the the pledge of allegiance that everyone says in school right it's the, I, they added they ta- they tacked on the one nation under god bit in the in the era when they were fighting the communists i swear <laughs> the whole fact that the kids are doing the uh, you know pledge of allegiance to a flag every time every morning in school is for me is just like it's crazy like you know I you know I actually I'm not gonna go into that topic because it's I don't know enough and um but I just feel it's quite weird thing considering how much I think it's one of those yeah it's one of those things where it's kind of a um it, it's it's a, it's like a, it's it's a, a tool that's kind of double edged it's so you want to use use those kind of things carefully right it's like um any kind of ritualistic behavior like you you can potentially get useful stuff out of it if it's tied to um, you know, encouraging you to do something that's actually a useful behavior mm-hmm. or you know, identify with a group more closely, right? So things like um, making it more difficult to get membership of a group, psychologically speaking, will make you value your membership of the group more mm. after you've joined it, right? So that's, that's you know, the, the, the function of some kind of initiation ritual actually has useful psychological consequences for the subsequent membership. And, and you get the same kind of thing with certain religious rituals where like if you actually analyze what what they're doing at the psych- at a psychological level you think oh, okay this ritual produces this mental state or this habit of behavior yeah. that's actually potentially you know a useful thing to cultivate so i think you know depending on what exactly it is you're attempting to achieve with the tool of ritual uh, you know then it might be a good thing but mm. like in the case of the pledge of allegiance it does seem a bit over much on the like the thing we're actually trying to achieve with this is some kind of blind patriotic loyalty um so yeah maybe, maybe not yeah <laughs> but yeah mm. let's move on on this one akin could also smell the women inside of the houses he could smell um their excitement and um, the men moved low towards the large, well-built, low-stilted house. Um, a tall, lean uh, man awaited the, them in the shade of the building. So that's the kid. The section where the, the women were all in the house, mm-hmm. I just wanted to draw that point out because um, initially, as Akin's moving into the village, you know, he's kind of remarking on the fact that they're all, the men are outside mm-hmm. and they're working in the fields. They're, they're coming out of the houses and so on. Um, and I think the like having the women in the houses kind of gives this like uh it's a you know it's a you know, tiny little chunk in the text but it gives quite a lot of uh information about the society in which the uh the, the, this you know, town is functioning mm-hmm. right uh and also that the 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 you know the society is one that's kind of under stress and 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 frequently in some kind of combat right uh, the you've got the you know 
women kind of being placed in this, you know, in their kind of so so called traditional roles in in the house, and you've got men acting in 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 function in 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 defense outside of that. Uh, and it couples in with this whole thing of them but to be honest, trading for women. But to be fair, I mean, yes, that makes sense because, you know, especially if there's a trading with women, like literally as with women were a currency, mm. but at the same time, it sort of doesn't make a full sense because, if I may, um, in old villages, like in villages in old times, men and women worked on the fields equally. There was no, like, if you had to work on the field, everybody had to go mm-hmm. because often more often than not like there was just shortage of hands that was to some degree why i emphasized the the threat right um i, in mm, the, the, I guess so yes um you, you know you have men acting in this kind of you know, conventionally uh combative or, or defensive role you know when when there's potential threat of violence as you know, new people coming into the village then no that's where that you have the men yeah. Uh, yeah on the outside I guess but, so. Yeah, it's just it, the the fact that we have these quite, quite strongly defined gender roles tells us something about the the society that the the village is uh, yeah. uh, is exhibiting. Yeah, it, there's a lot of uh, you know reversion to traditional ways of living here. Uh, the uh, the religion, the gender roles, uh, all of that, and I think that that comes back to what we said before about you know um, to some degree definition in in. Um, in opposition, mm-hmm. definition of identity in opposition to to that of the Oankali. Yeah, right? and they have, uh, and a, a a confusing set of gender roles, especially because they have a third gender, um, and all the rest. The Microbiologists, as you know, someone commented under our video. <laughs> ah, yeah, the, the 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 molecular biologist yes. gender. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. But yeah, um. So continuing on, the, this, this is an excerpt from a book. So that's the kid, the tall man said. He smiled. He had a short, well-tended black beard and short hair, very black. He wore a sh- uh, white shirt and short pants, displaying startling hairy arms and legs. A small blonde woman came from the house to stand beside him. My God, she said, that's a beautiful child. Is there anything wrong with him? Um, Riata then puts Akin in her arms and says that he is beautiful except for the tongue. And then we get the introduction of the two people. The, the two cockroaches, as I wrote down. Gabriel Rinaldi and his wife, Tate. Hmm. Yeah, there we go. They're back. They're back. <laughs> ah. Once they all moved into the house, Tate gave some food for Kin and drink for the men. I hope you won't wet the floor, she said, glancing at him. Akin responded to her impulsively, said he won't, and that surprised the woman. Um, he originally wanted to speak to the women in Siwata, but was afraid that they would be scared of his intelligence. Tate then asks him for his name, age, and if they should buy him. Akin tells her, yes, but they want a woman. Tate laughed. Of course they do. We might even find them one. Men aren't the only ones who get itchy feet. But Jesus, four men. She'd better have another itchy part or two. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's... Uh... <clears throat> Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and uh, it's interesting that you know, Akeen doesn't. He's like, eh, "What?" Yeah, that kind of goes over his head. That last remark. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, he's uh, still uh, ignorant and, and innocent of certain things uh, about adult uh, organisms. It would seem. Um, <laughs> yeah. But man, honestly, I I guess, well, I guess 
they are they, they would they, I'm, I guess in the village of their size maybe they would find uh, someone who had you know an itchy part or two to go with the men but still mm, yeah you'd have to be a brave woman to do that I think it's uh, yeah yeah that'd be putting yourself into a pretty risky situation actually mm. now thinking about it do you think STDs exist in the in this in the world? Do you think the Onkali have modified the humans so that there is no STDs anymore? Mm, interesting question. Um, I mean, they still have other diseases, including ones that are. I mean, like for example, largely bacterial. Yeah, like ulcers and stuff like. That. So technically, you know, like yeah. if by any chance there is you no. Know, if this town is like an old town, let's say pre-war town, and I mm. sort of imagine like a cowboy style of towns, there must have been like a brothel or some sort of some sort of sorts, right? I mean, potentially. Well, that sounds like they have a like just technically, right? Just saying. So, I mean, technically, mm. like if people, you know, if there's people who would have lots of sex with different partners, both men and women. Mm then technically there's a higher chance of STDs spreading around. Because, I mean, I feel like in the population um, that's being awakened, unless the Onkali have cured everyone as they awakened them, I mean, you know. Uh, yeah, I, I suppose it depends what they did with um, with pathogenic bacteria, right? I mean, unless there's some... Hmm. Yeah, you'd think that if anyone had an active infection of some kind, they'd probably have cured it when they were releasing yes. them. And it's only stuff that they might have picked up from after the fact. So anything that they encounter, they'd have to encounter some you know, existing pool of it somewhere else. Because yeah. or, or, uh, I feel like, uh, yeah. to, be fair, to be fair, humans are nasty. And I feel like at some point, I'm sure somebody has stuck their dung somewhere they have, shouldn't have. And I feel like they would find some other different weird of infections that wouldn't shouldn't have been there in the first place. So, yeah, some new uh, some new origin of uh, some new populations of, of yeah yeah. I mean, it, it takes a little while to you know evolve a new niche and all that. But uh, I mean, but there's been a few decades now, so since the humans being put on the earth, so who knows if there's yeah, one particularly horny person who just decided to stick their junk in somewhere they shouldn't have and suddenly you know you had a resurgence of a bacterial or fungal infection that shouldn't have been in the first place the <clears throat> yep yeah. a distinct possibility <laughs> <laughs> well anyway as Richard mentioned Akin does, didn't understand what uh, Tate meant but um, you know uh she just skims over it and then like then asks him like why does he want them to buy him and he tells her everything about the foreman about Iriart and Kalik liking him gate hating and uh, the fact that Damek killed Tino he then tells mm. her Tino's full name and hope for her to recognize it and she does and tells him that his parents are still here and mm. you know yeah. gone uh, just yeah, the um, the fact that Tino's parents are, are still there is, uh, I think, going to be relevant for, oh, yeah. for the subsequent interactions with these these men. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Mm. And Tate then notices that Akin looks similar to Tino, but um, Akin tells her that his father is dead, 
and she then asked if he's sure that Tina was dead. And but you know, Akin is saying like he says, if no one had heard his screams, then no one Kali would come on time to save him. Um, hmm. So it, it it seems like there's a bit of um, ambiguity here still in that that um, Akin's leaving in uh, about who his father is. Uh, in this section, right? Because it, it's it's not kind of I can't remember. D- does Akin explicitly say um, Tina's not his father? Yes, yes, yes. He says that um, he does. He says that um, that his father is dead. But then he he then clarifies it. Look, asks uh, you know Tate asks Akin if he liked him, and you know um, he confirms that yes, he liked. He was literally like a replacement of a father for him. I think later oh, on, yes, later yeah, on, yeah, the, yeah. I remember the hmm, yeah. I remember the yeah. Like he. he he served the role as a as a human father. Yeah, yeah I'd forgotten that, that section. And then yeah. she tells him that mm. he was loved here, as in Tina was loved there. He was a son that most never got, and she asked if he reached low um, because he gave him some food, actually. And when he Akin confirmed, she asked who was his mother. And this is an excerpt mm. from the book. Lilith Oliapo. Akin uh, did not think he she would have liked hearing Lilith's long Onkali name. Son of a bitch! Tate whispered. Listen, Akin, don't say that name to anyone else. It may not matter anymore, but don't say it. Why? Because there are people here who don't like your mother. There are people who might hurt you because they can't get at her. Do you understand? And this is the point when you mentioned earlier, like, you know, Akin being intelligent but ignorant in some innocent certain things. And this is, like, the point I feel like if it wasn't Tate who was close to Lilith... Hmm. Then, yeah, it's definitely risky of, of him to uh, mention Lilith's name here. Uh, if it was, for example, sure Gabriel, he... I think the boy's head would be popped out like a cork on the champagne immediately. Uh, I, I don't know. I mean... <laughs> oh, I feel that fucking cockroach would be immediately like... It's just, I feel like Gabe still didn't get punched in the face since the book one. That, and I feel like there has to be some point in the book that the Lilith visits the village and then, you know... Um, there's a face to face again, and whew, you know, good, solid, two or three punches. <laughs> okay. To be honest, no. Tate also deserves it, but you know, in a way. Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting though, because Tate's been kind of um, like she was the one who pointed Tino in the direction of Low. Yeah. And is kind of being uh, advising Akeen to to keep his mouth shut about this. Uh, you know the fact that the, his mother's Lilith, mm. and and she seems to still be a bit, you know, as you as you said in the notes, at least have some kind of respect. Yeah, I think uh, I I think the biggest problem for Tate was that you know she was with Gabriel, right? And it seems mm. that Tate, although initially seemed like a very, um, in the book one, a very uh independent strong like a female character but mm. eventually it seems that her character was like sub i don't know submerged because because Gable's character was much stronger and she sort of became a bit more submissive to him in a way and so when the whole idea was like when Lilith was telling them this is not earth this is not earth you're still on the ship blah 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 and then when this whole situation happened and, you know, all Joseph dying and then, then finally Don Kali telling them, actually, yeah, this is a ship. And then she, at the end, she's like, oh, I'm, could you tell, you know, so when the message, when um, 
she gives message mm. to Nikanj to tell to Lil that she's sorry. Like at this point, mm, it's just point. like yeah. you know, sorry my ass. But you no, know, it still it just shows that like her character sort of I know changed over yeah, time. Yeah. So when when she you know paired off with with Gabriel, I think the like maintaining his goodwill in the relationship probably became more important to her than some of this other stuff, yes. even if she feels a little uh, off about some of it. Yeah, absolutely. And I yeah. feel like mm-hmm. the fact that, you know, like that this whole situation took place. I mean, we've discussed so many times that Onkali took the wrong approach and etc. So and there's no point going back to that. But like the whole idea that her character changed and it seems that Akin was very lucky that he spoke to her, that the fact that there's still this... Hmm sort of respect and, and, you know, memory of the relationship between her and Lilith. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I think he he, uh, he got lucky here um, in uh, choosing to be as, as open with Tate as he did. Mm. I mean, perhaps he might not have been... I mean, he, I think there's a, a section in the description where he gets kind of a, you know, a, 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 has a sense that he can be more open with, with Tate for some reason. So may, maybe he would have... Uh, had an opposite intuition had it been someone else, yeah. but uh, it does uh, it, it does seem like he uh, uh, got lucky. Yeah. yeah. So after asking Akin, does he understand? Akin tells her that he doesn't, but he believes her. Tate says that they will make sure to buy him no matter what, but Akin tells her that in Siwat, the raiders took him away because they were scared the men from the village would steal him. Um, Tate reaffirms him that she shouldn't worry because she will see to him being bought. Um, Tate then takes Akin to Gabe and the four men. Um, Gabe tells them that the doctor will have uh, will have to have a look at him. And before that, though, he tells Akin to show him the tongue. This is an excerpt from the book. The man got up and looked for a moment, then shook his head. Ugly. And he's probably venomous. The constructs usually are. I saw him bite an agouti and kill it, God put in, but he's never made an effort to bite any of us, Riyarta said with obvious irritation. It's like... Yeah. So I don't <laughs> I, get... I could picture this scene quite well. Yeah, it's just I, like, I, you know, I, I, like... I imagine it as well, but like, I sort of don't get God. He hates the kid. Hmm. Hmm. So on, in his, like, y- you would think like, yeah, I hate him, I want to get rid of him as soon as possible. But then he's like, oh, hmm. you know, he, I saw him bite an agouti and kill it. And it's just like, okay, so maybe what if they don't buy it? Don't buy Akin. Yeah, it's just yeah, going to be on your hands all the time and you have the risk of being bitten by Akin all the time. The thing you're fearing is like, I don't think the man is thinking but, clear. Yeah, I, I suppose it's just sort of like, you know, trying to warn other so. people about him, I suppose. It's just a bit... Uh, uh, yeah, just <laughs> any chance you can get to say something potentially negative about Akin yeah. is going to be... Uh, going to be taking it for some reason um but yeah i like to just iriate just like you know jabbing in the ribs shut up man yes. we're trying to sell this <laughs> yeah uh, stop undermining the um so yeah the uh, the sales pitch iriate then continues saying that the boy is very intelligent and obedient now what's edible and what isn't um he told them also mentioned it like he doesn't like meat and fish but they shouldn't force him to e- eat them but gabe tells him that he wants mm. to know how unhuman mentally the boy is um, except from the book. Akin did not want to go. Showing his tongue was one thing. Deliberately putting himself in hands that might be unfriendly was another. He looked up at Iriate, hoping the man would not let him go. Instead, Iriate put him down and gave him a show towards Rinaldi. Reluctantly, he edged towards the man. 
And I think it's understandable, understandable, because Gabe is an asshole, so mm-hmm. he, he can, I can, I can feel that Akin knows that the guy is an ass. Good, do- good job, boy. Good, mm-hmm. well, well done. <laughs> yep, I know. I just, that's an interesting uh, uh, proposition, right? I wonder if um, having additional sensory capabilities makes it easier to detect. Sense the, um... is this person an asshole <laughs> or not? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. I mean, you do sometimes get that kind of, you know, you get a vibe, right, from people, the whole, uh, you know, like, you know, the way they stand, the way they the talk. The way they the look way at they, people, uh, or like, like the, 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 the first sentence yeah. they say, and you can feel like, oh, this guy is, oh, girl is condescending as fuck, you know, like, oh, this this is not going to be a nice interaction with this person. Might as well leave as soon as possible before it escalates any further. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's like the... um. One of the things that always comes to mind when I think of this of like instantly dislikable people is the, um, uh, you know, Breaking Bad, the guy who uh, Walt sets his car on fire. Uh huh. It's just like this, like, uh, like stockbroker dude who's just like constantly having unbelievably awful conversations over his Bluetooth headphone, like loudly in public and getting in everyone's way. It's just like this. <laughs> there's something about the man that's just yeah. like, you know. Everyone around him clearly loathes him, and they don't know anything about him, <laughs> just other than his immediate demeanor. I mean, you know, it's it's usually like, uh, but this is an interesting topic because, like, you know, I, I think we've mentioned this before, but like, in terms of hmm. hating someone, right? It's often mm-hmm. you, you, unless you experience something, it's quite hard to hate someone. Like, for example, um, in Harry Potter hmm. books, right? The number one mm-hmm. hated character in the whole book, and no matter like in any poll you create, it's always Dolores Umbridge, not Voldemort, yeah, not yeah. the Death Eaters, because in most cases mm. it's like, oh Voldemort, he's inherently evil, he kills people, right? Like, but most people like mm. who read the books or never experienced death or someone close to them dying, right? From because of some evil mm-hmm. person, right? Yeah, it's the more relatable. Yeah, and then you <laughs> have Dolores Umbridge, who's just a petty woman who just got a a bit of power in her hands, and she's using it, it hmm. pull like pushing in any possible direction that like using it and like like twisting it so that she can like pretend that the power gives her some rights uh, that she really doesn't have, yep. and yeah. we all know person like that in power and that they shouldn't have that power because they will like just use it for their petty means right and that's why like everybody hates them so same here like you know like it's it's the fact that you can sense that like oh this person has this bit of extra power in their hands and they're using in any means just to be like asshole i mean so actually the an interesting point on um what some of the uh uh, like watching of interviews with Octavia and, and and reading some stuff that was written about her writing mm-hmm. process and so on. Um, apparently, she often started um, her kind of antagonist characters mm-hmm. um, by modeling them on on people she knew or people in like the public eye. Uh, so she'd have kind of like a person in mind as like the model for the character, <laughs> and it was usually either like sci-fi authors who she didn't like and didn't get along with, uh, but like knew from conventions, or like um, right-wing politicians. Oh, nice. <laughs> 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 so uh, a lot of the times if there's an antagonist in an Octavia Butler book you can probably find out if you delved into her archives like which um which sci-fi author or which like political figure they were My originally God. based on. Nice. 
But to be fair, most no. people when they write something like they they base the characters on people they've met, right? Because it's easier mm-hmm. to copy someone's behavior than actually reinvent it. Like how would the person behave when you already know? Like so, how would ty- type of character behave because you already encounter something like that, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's good to have kind of a, a character archetype from which to, to work. <laughs> and if you have experience of someone who fits it well, then uh, it's yeah, it's a nice shortcut for for running that mental model of of what would a person who's like this do exactly. <laughs> hmm. But yeah, going back to the book, um, Gabe tells him to speak, but Akin looks back at the reality. Um, Gabe then asks for his name, which makes Akin smile because it's the second time that they want to know who he is and not what he is. Um, Akin tells Gabe his name and explains mm-hmm. where he's from, uh, where it is from. It's language of y- Yoruba from Nigeria, meaning hero. But if you put S at the end, it would mean brave boy. Akin t- uh, he tells them then that he's the first boy born to a human woman, which is interesting. I thought like it is. I like those little mm-hmm. things in books when they're like, oh, this is from this and this, and like it's a really nice, interesting fact. Now I can put uh, a Yoruba language that I'm basic understanding on my CV. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you made LinkedIn, it a bit more LinkedIn, okay <laughs> Fluent in uh, African languages uh, Yeah, well, there are so oh, many Oh god, like uh, It's re- just really funny When you read those like You know, LinkedIn Description of people like Oh yeah, I'm a developer Blah, blah But in reality You can like maybe put a uh, yeah, Hello okay. world in the Python language It's like, yeah mm. That's it I'm a full stack developer. What does that even mean? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Hmm. Now, now, brave boy. Uh, int- yeah. Okay. That, that. Now I'm um, remembering tales from Barsing Say. Gabe asks him then if he can read, and to which Akin tells yes because he can remember everything. That startles the four men, and because again, Gabe explains to them that that's how Ankali are, and it's an ability that they can give to humans. Gabe then asks Akin if they should buy him, and Akin tells him yes because they want him sold, uh, while he wants to stay here because it seems that they don't hate him here, and he doesn't hate the people from Phoenix. That makes Gabe laugh, which pleases Akin because he he was hoping he would make the man laugh. Rinaldi asked his age, the number of languages he spoke, and the purpose of his long, great tongue. Akin withheld information only about the tongue. He only tells them that he can smell and taste things with it, but nothing else. When the doctor comes, she notices only texture spots on his back arms and abdomen, but Akin doesn't know if he will grow tentacles when they ask him from them during metamorphosis. Um, him speaking startles the doctor named Yori. He proceeds to tell them about the sensory spots and the ability to see and taste with them, and the fact that it bothers him if they touch them. Blessed now, but it still bothers him. The two women... Mm. Mm-hmm. The, the little scene with him and the doctor, um, I thought is, is quite, uh, quite interesting, that whole little... Uh, he's still surprising people by how um, you know, articulate he yeah. is when he speaks. Because you know, it's like people say he talks, and they're like, oh, I thought you baby meant like, talk. You know, baby yeah. talk, not like he's, you know... Uh, so eloquent <laughs> Shakespearean English basically you know full on British English <laughs> accent um, uh, yeah, that would be an interesting <laughs> interesting artistic choice whenever you did the, uh, 
the the translation to to some kind of uh, visual medium right like how do you have uh, how do you have him voiced because he's still going to have a fairly you know soft palate suppose well actually no uh, not necessarily right because of the whole thing yeah, with teeth yeah, yeah. And they mentioned that early on didn't they it'd be really funny if they like they actually did put like some like him started speaking like a shakespearean english old english like just just to mess around with people <laughs> Just give him like a really deep voice. It's just like a James Earl Jones. Oh my God, yes, I was just going to say, I was just going to say, that would be brilliant. Uh, (laughs) Or like um, uh, Christian Bale Batman voice. Oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But yeah. This is why you you don't want us to do the adaptation. No, no, you really don't. I think that would be just basically comedy of this, this whole like, how can you mess up with people, mess with people, just, you know. Yeah, the real boy appears and has a really deep voice. <clears throat> no, bloopers real only. <laughs> anyway. anyway, then two women come into the room and call Gabe away, and that's when Akin notices a man and a woman who came to have a look at the boy. He realized who they were before they even spoke to him. The woman asks Akin if he knew their son, so Akin tells them that he thinks Tino was killed, unless Don Cali found him fast enough. The man, father of Tino, gets close to Akin and asks him quietly enough for only the women and the doctor hearing the question, asking him who killed Tino. Akin notices that before he answered, the doctor shook her head and her eyes were filled with fear. Akin then tells a lie to the man, saying that the man called Tilden, who died of an ulcer, was the cause. The man confirms with Akin about Tilden being dead and um, stares at Akin for a long time. Akin could sense that the man loved Tino. He, you know, how could Akin, even mm. without doctor's uh, warning, send him with his bare hands to face a man who had a gun, who had three friends with guns? This was mm. this is yeah, this is a... amazing about Akin, which still surprises me. Like in some cases, he's like, "Oh, Lilith is my uh, mother," and it's like, "Oh, you shouldn't be saying that." And then he doesn't say things because he notices that it would he would the man would kill the uh, the man. So it's. Mm-hmm. It, it's really contradicting yeah, sometimes. He's, uh, yeah, a bit, um, a, a bit patchy on kind of what he's yes. picked up on and, and on, on what it is and isn't a good idea yeah. to to talk about. But yeah, and it is also interesting that he's still, um, uh, yeah, the, the the concern that he has for uh, Tino's father, mm-hmm. and even also to some degree to the for the for the other three, right? He's just, he's just concerned about the possibility of of violence breaking yep. out. Um, and trying to avoid it. I mean, if he did say that Damik is the um, the real perpetrator, I, I think that the man would probably jump on his throat straight away. So, to be fair, I mm. would, I wouldn't even think about it if it was you know the man who killed my son. Like you know, I just just you know it, it's a natural event and it, you know reaction. And I feel like that I can make the correct decision, not telling the truth. Hmm. Yeah, I think it's probably a good uh, a good move at least for now. Uh, yeah, that he's concealing that. Although it does, uh, it's it's another potential risk, right? Because it it it's if they find out through other means somehow that it wasn't yeah uh, Tilden who killed him, then it's a uh, you know a breach of their yes. trust, yes. Uh, which uh, puts them in a. Uh, a disadvantageous yeah. position because they they might not trust uh, other things. It'll tell speaking them. of that, like you know. Here in the book, actually, it says here, Tino Fathers nonetheless went to the room with four raiders and asked about Tilden. Something in his face made Iriate put his hand on the gun, Akin noticed. And ironically, Damik, the true cause of Tino's demise, tells him that he died of an ulcer. 
Um, Iriata asked the man if he knew him, and Tino's father says that he would like to have meet, met him. Tate looked at Akin. She knew the truth. Tina's um, mother's um, Tina's mother moved back of Akin's ha- uh, hair and asked him who Tina was to the boy, and the boy replied said that he was a placement of his dead father. Finally, she kissed him on the cheek and went away. The doctor asked Akin if he told the truth, but Akin decided not to answer. He wished he didn't tell the Tate uh, that um, he didn't tell Tate the truth. So Akin already realized, like, damn it, I shouldn't have said. To Tate, who really killed um, uh, Tino, um, because if the truth spreads somehow, one way or another, then it's gonna be bad for Akin as well. Yeah, yeah, and you know the the doctor's picking up on yeah. that as well, and it's uh, yeah. She tells yeah. him in this excerpt from the book, "Never tell them." Yori whispered, "Her his silence had apparently taught her enough." There has been enough killing. Mm. We did. We die and die, and no one is born. She put her hands on either side of his face and looked at him. Her expression shifting from pain to hatred to pain to something utterly unreadable. So yeah, it's mm. it was a good decision on his side. And the chapter ends with the doctor hugging him, which made Akin afraid because he thought that she would hurt him due to the amount of suppressed emotion in her. She then went. Uh, she then went to speak to one of the Rinaldi and left the house, and that's where the chapter ends. Hmm. Yeah, it's a, an interesting little last interaction there, and the the, the doctor goes from kind of uh, expecting a baby to um, seeing the intelligence in in Akeen and then like kind of trying to signal to him to engage in a, a bit of a deception. Uh, it yeah. seems in that scene there, where it's like you know, kind of gives him a, a head movement to say you know don't don't let on that one of these men is probably the one who killed tina in front of his mm. parents and and then this this last bit here with the um yeah the, the pain to hatred to pain to something utterly unreadable and then the the tight tense hug yeah so yeah so it mm. just feels like that that you know it's there's still a lot of tension and you know mm. it's i guess understandable mm-hmm. i think it also potentially sets up um uh, some some queries for this character yori we'll learn a bit more about about her um actually uh, in the book we sort of missed this description but he she um akin t- uh, notices that she looks very similar to um his dead father, Joseph, so she potentially could be Chinese, but yeah. she never he never goes to ask her um, because um, he says that, you know, at the point where um, when Tino's father asks T- uh, Akin about, you know, whether there's a kill, which one of the killing, she, like her eyes are so big because of the fear that Akin mm. sort of doesn't have a chance to even speak to her at that point. And, and so, but potentially, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yori, though, sounds more of a Japanese name. Mm-hmm. So, but anyway, I, I think it's it's interesting and um, it's curious what's going to come up with that because in a way, I sort of feel like um, this is not the end of the story of between father, Tino's father and man, but at the same time, mm-hmm. maybe it is. Maybe T- Akin's just... Decision, excuse me. Um, 
was correct here and maybe there won't be any violence. Hmm. Okay. So uh, on that subject, should we talk about your speculations sure, for, the, yeah. for the next chapter? So I think th but the story will continue, right? Because they still haven't finished the bargain. So I think there will be continuing, mm. like, so maybe, you know, as they, as they did in all times, the bargain, like a party, a drinking. But eventually Akin is sold to the village and it's time to say goodbyes with the men the next morning. Some sweet goodbyes with Riyat and uh, Kalik. Uh, middle finger to uh, Gold and Damek and you know that's it's the end of the story and then you know interaction between um, Tate and Akin and Gabe and the rest of the village and you know Tina's parents will continue I guess okay okay so I suppose a, a, a relatively smooth uh, transaction I mean yeah. I do hope I mean it's 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 sort of so far there hasn't been like you know tate said like we'll make sure that you are sold right uh we mm. buy you i mean and um and she meant like there's definitely some women that definitely are having itchy feet <clears throat> if not itchy other mm. things i mean if if you do have an itchy part that shouldn't be itchy, you should be see a doctor about that so everyone <laughs> so please make sure that you don't just you know go have sexual intercourse if there's itchy parts that's very bad but going back to the book, I think, you know, if there was a woman or two that would want to join them, I guess, you know, they might. Who knows? Mm -hmm. But I feel like it's it, this whole idea still blows my mind. I'm sorry, but it still blows my mind. I just cannot imagine any s sentient being just being like, yeah, I'm going to be sold to, to like, I mean, obviously, it's if like there's forces and you're being forced to do it, but like willingly, four men who don't yeah, even know hygiene, kind of a... probably. Like, hmm. Yeah, so this particular circumstance, I cannot see the appeal. There's not, of, I mean, like, <laughs> I don't know, like, to go off if, them. as I said, like, if hmm. there are, I don't know, like, really well-off men that, like, you know, <clears> blah, 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 stuff like that, like, maybe I would see the appeal in it. But, like, if they were handsome or in rich the... or whatever, but this is, there's no appeal whatsoever. Like, <clears> yeah. So like the whole kind of like transactional marriage type relationship where, you know, you're going to, to get something out of it. I can kind of understand why you might enter into that, even if it's not, you know, like an, an emotional connection, as it were. It's just a, a business arrangement, effectively, yeah. right? That sort of makes sense. But the, uh, yeah, this scenario, I'm not sure what you're getting yeah, at. Yeah, I actually don't. <laughs> the like, other I end just, of the deal here. I, it, it still blows my mind, and I still don't understand why would anybody, I mean, like, even if Tate thinks that there might be some adventurous woman who would want to join them, like, if... I just feel like there would be a tension in the group still. Like, a, a further tension. Mm. Can you imagine, like, if there's a competition between, like, the men for the the lady yeah. and, like, for example, yeah. the girl decides that, actually, she likes this man particularly and she doesn't want to, um, like... Yeah, I mean, having seen their group dynamics before, it does not look like a, a healthy yeah. situation into which I would be interested in, in injecting myself. <laughs> no, no. I, I just I just feel like this <laughs> yeah. is, like, really... Uh, <laughs> I would say... Yeah. And, and, unless you're super, super desperate, this is not going to be a step No, up. <laughs> no, exactly. Unless you really don't care and you're just like, yeah, well, whatever, you know, let's... Uh, or, like, to a degree that's naive. Yeah. <laughs> Frankly. Yeah. But anyway... I just thought that for me, it's still this this whole idea that you know, that in the world that they that you have so many so little people, and so instead of showing respect to each other and trying to sort of preserve what you can, 
to you know it's i mean they 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 kind of are with what they're doing yeah i mean like the interactions of like you know like it's it's supposed to be like going back to the sort of like the 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 tribal behavior it's just like yeah i mean not Mm -hmm. surprised that i mean they're, they're, they're they're going back to an environment where there's intense scarcity uh which you know, yeah. drives that kind of decision making and, and frame, but the it's it's an interesting juxtaposition, right? Because you have the the almost post scarcity world of the the Oankali, where everything is kind of just available to you from the environment in which you live, yeah. right? You, you you know you live inside a, a a living system that's designed to to serve your every like need effectively. Um, and then you've got the humans kind of trying to trying to strive to survive in the in in the environment. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think that that also might have some interesting lines of um, kind of uh, almost environmental or ecological commentary, right? We're at this point very mismatched with the environment in which we kind of uh, originated uh, in in our cultural practices and, and all yeah. the rest of it. But uh, the the Oankali are super advanced but managed to be do, to to be so in a way that is not um out of harmony with the 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 biology mm. of the the worlds that they kind of create for themselves now to some degree although you know the whole um like uh resource stripping the planet slowly through a biological process is is somewhat like con- contrary yeah. to that but also somewhat in line with what biology does anyway so it's like (laughs) yeah yeah but i still yeah i it's just for me like it's it's a weird concept and i feel like if if we were in this world i would probably be the first one to die because i would be like we are literally going back to savage times i refuse in any circumstances to be part of any of this fucking nonsense and this sort of behavior um so yeah, but anyway. Mm-hmm. No, and as we said before, I've you're already, already yeah, you already decided where you're gonna be. <laughs> yeah, I'm up on the spaceship. Yeah. <laughs> <Well>. <laughs> okay then, so uh, I think that um, yeah, I guess that's more or less wraps up the. Yes, thank you very um, very much, everyone, for listening. We are Xenothesis. You can find all the places we upload our podcast on xenothesis.com. I was Michael Glinka. I was Richard Acton. Bye. Goodbye.